0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning as we continue our look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3-14. through 14. I want to extend my welcome to you as well. Jeremy already said welcome to anyone who's visiting with us, but I want to extend my personal welcome to you. So glad that you're with us this morning. Would love to meet you and know you after the service. Please stop by and introduce yourself if you are visiting with us. If you are visiting, we have been going through Ephesians chapter one, verse three through fourteen. The Apostle Paul has written to the Christians at Ephesus concerning our glorious union with Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. As I read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. As a church, remember, we are trying to memorize this passage over the summer. I hope you're doing well with that. I see some sheepish grins around the room. I hope you're trying to memorize this passage. For some of us, it's harder. It's getting harder to memorize. Stick with it. It'll be worth it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Let me read that for us. Please follow along as I read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All of us enjoy a good story. And there are few stories better than a good adoption story. I remember just a few months ago, Not even that long, when our own members, Alex and Beth McCauley, stood before a judge with William and Henry, which just happened within the last few months. And a judge declared William and Henry to be the sons of Alex and Beth McCauley. Some of you were there that day. What a wonderful story. What a beautiful story. Few stories are better than a good adoption story. This morning, I would like to take our attention to verse 5 and 6 of this wonderful passage. Let me read verse 5 and 6 for us again, starting actually at the end of verse 4. In love... He predestined us, that is the Father, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This morning, I would like us to take our attention to an adoption story that is not someone else's but ours our adoption story for if you are here this morning and you have believed upon the name of Jesus as your only hope of salvation if you have received him john 1:12 tells us the gospel of john chapter 1 verse 12 says to as many as received him that is received Jesus To them who believed on his name, the Father has given the right to be called the children of God. You and I this morning, if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are called children of God. We have been given the right to be called children of God. This morning, I'd like us to put our attention upon our own adoption story. First, I would like for you to see and consider that our adoption, the father's adoption of his children, was motivated by love. Motivated by love. Look at it there. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. Now that little prepositional phrase, in love, it actually, I've already told you this, this this entire section is just one sentence. In your translation, there's a period there before in love. That period doesn't exist. I know if you're in the NIV, it's not there. Many of your translations have a period right there before in love. There's a a decision to be made with this prepositional phrase. Does it modify or is it connected to this idea of being blameless and holy? In other words, it, it could read that we should be holy. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. It is possible that the phrase in love is connected to holy and blameless before him, speaking of the way we stand before him, holy and blameless, in love. This would be accurate. This would be a fitting way to interpret it. However, most of your translations, they do have a period there before in love, connecting it to this truth that he predestined us. If you read it this way, it talks about the motivation of his predestination. The motivation of God, the Father, in his work to predestine those who are his children. This fits as well. What I'm saying is, no matter what you choose, it's going to fit the context of what he is saying. If we think of his love being the motivation, this fits. Because, as we've seen last week... Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. And that choosing, that election, we spent a lot of time with this last week. That election of his children was based on his foreknowledge. And as we saw, foreknowledge does not simply mean that God can see the future. As some would connected it does not mean that god simply sees the future no his foreknowledge speaks of a intimate and intimate relationship he has known us before the foundation of the world he has loved us before we even knew him Truly, He has foreknown us in love. He has loved us ere we knew Him. And this is what Scripture says, We now love Him because He first loved us. Truly, our love for Him is evidence of His love for us. We could not love Him. Do you realize that today? You cannot love God apart from His love for you. We love Him because He first loved us us. Now what are the implications of this love that he had for us before the foundation of the world? In fact, his motivation for predestinating us for adoption to himself as sons. What are the implications of this? Now this is a hard one. The first implication I have for you under this point is very hard, but I want you to hear me carefully, closely. The fact that his Choosing of us is motivated by a love for us, teaches us that, again, listen carefully, the Father does not love every person the same. Very important that you hear that. He does not love every person, he does not love every human the same. Now, is it true that God loves all people? Yes. But in this doctrine of foreknowledge and election, we learn that God has placed his choosing love only upon his children, those that he has chosen to love. And predestined, based on that choice of love, he has predestined for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Now, this reality does not sit well with many today in our world. The idea that God loves everyone the same but how could how could God love everyone the same if his choosing love is but upon his children This is what is told us in Romans 9 when he says Jacob have I loved Esau I have hated simply saying that he places his divine election, his loving election upon only those he intends to save and bring to himself. As we looked at this doctrine last week, this doctrine teaches us what? It teaches us to be humble. How can the doctrine of election ever create pride in us? How can the doctrine of election ever teach us to be exalted in our view of self? You see, his adoption of us based upon his loving choice, his foreknowledge, this is made even more incredible when we consider who we are. You only have to turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 to see who we are. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 goes on to say that we were children of wrath. We were children of disobedience. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is who we are. And yet, he places his loving choice upon us. This love is not merited by anything that we could do. His favor is not gained by anything that we have done. In fact, it is quite the opposite. We were not lovable. And because of the fact that we are not lovable, this is what makes his love so astounding. He loves you. I want you to hear that again. He loves you. And he has loved you from before the beginning of time. His love for you is an enduring love. It is an eternal love. He loves you. I love the story of Oliver Twist. You know that story? We love that story, don't we? Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist! We love the audio book where they do all the accents and everything. Oliver Twist is the story of a boy who, whose mother dies while giving birth to him. He becomes a ward of the state, and they the state feels like they have given him every advantage when, in fact, they have doomed him. Throughout the story, you cheer for Oliver Twist. And, and throughout the story, there's this reference to his face and his eyes and the way he looks. Everybody knows this young boy is innocent. He does not belong with everyone else. There's something about him that everyone notices. This, this young boy, he doesn't belong on the street. He was born to some higher privilege. Everyone has this sense that he has some higher privilege. And in fact, you find out later on in the story that his mother was someone of privilege. And later in the story, he's adopted by his family, who is well-to-do. He's taken off the streets where he doesn't belong and placed in the family where he does belong. And we love that story. But but that's not our adoption. That's not our adoption. We're not Oliver Twist. There's nothing innocent about us. There's nothing lovable about us. We belong on the street. We belong in the gutter. No, our story would be much more accurate if you retold the story and it wasn't Oliver Twist who was adopted but Bill Sykes. Bill Sykes, the one who is the murderous, thieving, conniving, abusive man. The villain of the story. Who at the end of the story meets his just end. Now see, our story would be Bill Sykes is adopted. And adopted By his adoption, being given everything. Something inside, we would go, that's a terrible story. It's a horrible story. He doesn't deserve that. What about Oliver Twist? He's much more deserving. No, our story is that of Bill Sykes. The one who doesn't deserve it. And this is what's made... This is what makes love, the love of the Father for us, so astounding. Have you ever, have you ever considered the love of God for you? 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. I want to read for you a quote from Thomas Watson speaking of this love, the wonder of God's love and adoption. Thomas Watson says this, The wonder of God's love in adopting us will appear the more if we consider this, that God should adopt us when He had a son of His own men adopt because they want children and desire to have some to bear their name, but that God should adopt us when he had a son of his own, the Lord Jesus. Here is the wonder of love. Christ is called God's dear son, Colossians 1.13, a son more worthy than the angels, Hebrews 1.4 being made so much better than the angels. Now, when God had a son of his own, and such a son, here is the wonder of God's love in adopting us. We needed a father, but he did not need a son. He has adopted us. not because he needs a son, but to demonstrate his great love to the praise of his glorious grace. Now many of us, we doubt this love. In fact, it is Far too common for us to feel like we have to, in some way, earn the love of God. Have you ever tried to win the love of someone else? Have you ever tried to gain someone's love? Tried to make someone love you? The fear that that creates, the anxiety that that creates, the longing. I want you to know this morning there is nothing that you can or have to do to gain the love of God. You have it. And He has proven it to you. The fact that He has given the Son of His love for you. There is nothing you can do to earn His love or that you have to do you are accepted. You are adopted. Many who are adopted, many who are adopted use that status and that reality to feel rejected. You've seen that. Many children who are adopted, they grow up and some way they feel that they have been rejected because their biological parents did not want them. They feel rejected. When in fact adoption should signal to us acceptance and great love. We have been brought into a family by the Father's loving choice. You have a Father who loves you And he has brought you to himself, the highest of prices. This adoption, our adoption story, begins with the love of the Father for us. Unless you think we are done with this theme, we will return to this momentarily, the love of the Father for us. But I'd like us to also see that our adoption, the Father's adoption, has bestowed upon us, a new status. Look at it there in the text again. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He has bestowed upon us a new status. As I said from John 1.12, he has given us the right to be called children of God. I, I love another adoption story we recently Uh, introduced our children to it. The story of Ben-Hur. You remember the story of Ben-Hur? I love that story. Prince Judah Ben-Hur, son of Hur. He is a wealthy merchant living in Jerusalem. And he has a friend he grew up with, Masala, who has grown up as a Roman. And this Roman best friend grows up, goes off to Rome, learns how to be a soldier, comes back, and betrays his friend Judah Ben-Hur. Judah Ben-Hur is arrested, made an example of, and sent off to slavery in the galleys. Now, if you've watched that movie, Judah Ben-Hur has the face of Charlton Heston. If you've watched that movie, I I would recommend, fast forward to the galley scene, fast forward to the chariot race, fast forward to the end, and you'll be done. You can watch the three-hour movie in about an hour and a half. It'd be, be just fine. But that story is amazing. We don't, my favorite part, aside from the galley scene and and the chariot race, my favorite scene is when Judah Ben-Hur comes back. Masala has thought he's gotten rid of Judah Ben-Hur forever, but he's gone away and he rescued a Roman uh, general, something like that. And this Roman general, because he's been rescued by Judah, he adopts him as his own son. And he gives him his name, Arius. And so now Judah Ben-Hur is known as the son of Arius. I love the scene when Masala hears that the son of Arius has come to pay him respects and he's been given a gift. And he says, wow, such such an honored son would come and visit me. And he walks in, Judah Ben-Hur walks in, and Masala realizes that it is Judah Ben-Hur, his old friend, that he's betrayed. And his face goes white. And he realizes he's in trouble. Why? Because Ben-Hur has come back with a new status. That's what adoption secures for us. A new status. We are called the sons of God. Now justification, the doctrine of justification, is that legal declaration in which God, the righteous judge, declares us to be righteous. The doctrine of justification is the bedrock upon which the entire Christian faith is built. Regeneration is that doctrine, that teaching of Scripture, that says we have been born again. We have been taken from death and made alive. We have been regenerated, born again. Regeneration speaks of that inner transformation of life accomplished by God's Spirit taking us from death to life. So justification is that legal declaration of righteousness. Regeneration is that inner transform, transformational reality that we have been given life from death. Now, if, if these two realities were the extent there would be much to thank God for, it, it would... It would be enough to declare God's goodness. No question of His goodness to us in justification and regeneration. But adoption. Related to justification and regeneration for sure. But adoption. This is distinct both from justification and regeneration. In adoption... He has taken those who have been declared righteous, those born again by the Spirit of God, and He has brought us, welcomed us into His family. See, if we were only declared righteous, that would be enough. If we were only made alive spiritually, that would be enough. But He takes these realities and He puts them together and He calls us into His family. We are now adopted with full rights and privileges of a son. This is the reality J.R. Packer talks about when he says adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. We are adopted, we are his family, sons and daughters god very quickly and not exhaustively i i guarantee you very quickly i would like to run through several of these privileges that we have i'm going to read from galatians 4 i'm not going to turn to all these passages but i will i will turn to a couple of them galatians chapter 4 listen to verse 6 and 7 I'll start in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He has given us His Spirit. He has freed us from sin and the slavery to sin. And He, by His Spirit, has given us fellowship with Himself, with the Father. The Spirit cries, Abba, Father. Abba is that term of endearment. It would be akin to the idea of calling him Daddy. We have an intimate, intimate relationship with the Father. And we call him Abba because he is our Father. We are no longer slaves, but sons. And because He is our Father, He has given us another privilege. That is to trust in Him and His disposition towards us as Father. He has the disposition of a perfect Father towards us. He wants nothing but good for us. And he has spared no expense. Listen to Luke 12. I love this verse in Luke 12. This is the passage where we are told to be anxious for nothing. He says in Luke 12, Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. The Father has a generous, compassionate disposition towards us, as a perfect Father does. And because of this, we can approach Him as our Father. Matthew 6 tells us, when we pray, pray like this, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Keep us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That is our Father we are talking to. We have the privilege to call Him Father And our Father wants to give us everything. Why would we be anxious when He has already proven that He will spare no expense? It is His good pleasure. This is what it tells us in the text that we've been in uh, today. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Do you know what that means? According to the good pleasure of His will. It pleases Him. This is the plan, this is the will that pleases Him to make us His sons and daughters. The story is told of a young boy who grew up his entire life bouncing around in the foster care system from one home to another until finally around the age of nine or ten he found a home with a family that had every intention to adopt him and to bring him out of this life that he had learned and experienced and give him a home where he would be protected and cared for and loved. That was their loving choice upon him. Throughout that process, the mother of the home began to realize that someone was stealing food from the pantry, She would go to the grocery store and buy food and buy groceries. And over weeks, she realized that someone was stealing food. Sure enough, she went to the young boy's bedroom that they had given him. And under the bed, she found two two pillowcases full of food that the young boy had taken. You see, he had learned over years that he could not trust in the provision of someone else. He had to fend for himself. He had to take care of himself because who knew what tomorrow would hold? Maybe tomorrow he would be gone to another home again. He didn't know that he could trust the provision of that family that had his best interest at heart. And what what an illustration for us. Because sin has taught us over years to be afraid. Sin has kept us enslaved. Sin and self, this this nature of sin and self-concern has taught us to be afraid, to look out for ourselves, to be anxious for tomorrow because we don't know what's going to happen to us. And the Father says... I want to give you everything. Fear not. It is my good pleasure to give to you even the kingdom itself. It's hard to learn, isn't it? It's hard to trust the disposition of our Father towards us. We approach Him in prayer as our Father. Trusting his provision and his heart towards us. He loves us. He wants to do nothing else but pour upon us his blessings. There's nothing to fear. Along with this, this sonship, this privileged place, comes... And this is a privilege. It doesn't sound like a privilege, but it is. Comes the loving discipline of a father. Hebrews 12 tells us that he disciplines us as sons. What a privilege it is to be in a home where children are so loved that their father takes their discipline seriously. He wants what's best for them. How often I have had to choose, and my wife, we've had to choose the hard, the hard choice of discipline for our children. Why? Because we want what's good for them. Because we want what's best for them. What they're choosing is not good. What they're choosing is going to destroy them. And a loving father disciplines his children. Our father disciplines us. Is it the case that he has brought difficulty and hardship and trial? Is it true that he has not given us what we would want because he loves us? He disciplines us as a father does his son. What a privilege that is. We also have as a privilege unity with brothers and sisters. See, he has not just adopted me. He has adopted us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have unity with the brethren. Ephesians 2 and 3 tells us of this household that he is building of saints. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. As a result of his adoption, we have a great inheritance. Ephesians 1 tells us that in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He has given us a great inheritance and with that inheritance as a father bestows upon his son an inheritance with that inheritance comes his name. We have the privilege of bearing his name. 1 Peter 1:14 through 17 says that we are to be holy as He is holy. Why? Because He is our Father. We are to bear His name and holiness. And I want, I want you to hear this. We'll talk about this more again in just a second. Because of our privileged status as sons of God and daughters of God, because we have been adopted... We, have also, we also have the privilege of calling Jesus our brother. This is what Hebrews 2 says. He, has, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. What a status we have. Now this status is not to be taken lightly. I hear so often people will refer to these, these family privileges. We can call God Father and Jesus our brother, and they treat these flippantly and lightly. No, these are to be treated very, very reverently, with great reverence and awe. The fact that we can call God Father should never be taken lightly. The fact that we can call Jesus our brother should never be taken lightly. It should be treasured, treated with great respect. And surely, I wish I had more time, but surely, surely if we have been given so much privilege, this privilege comes with great responsibility as well. This responsibility of being called sons of God. Very quickly, because we are called his sons, we are to imitate our father in love. Ephesians 5 says. We are to walk as children of light. Not in darkness. Again in Ephesians 5. We are to pursue unity with the brethren. Because we are brothers and sisters, we have been adopted into his family. We are to live in unity, pursue unity, at all costs with one another. Ephesians 4. Because we have been brought into his family... We are not to be anxious. What does it say about us when we are anxious? When we live in constant anxiety over what may come? What it says is that we do not not believe the goodness of the Father. We doubt His goodness. Luke 12, as I just mentioned. We also have the responsibility to come to Him and ask Him for what we need. A sign of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is when we grow in our prayer and in our, in our dependence upon Him for what He alone can provide. Not depending upon self, but looking to Him to provide for what we need. We also have the responsibility to endure and be grateful, be thankful, to receive with thankfulness the discipline of the Lord how often we run from that discipline we act as if god has turned his back on us or if god has some some ill intention towards us when in fact his discipline is a sign of his love for us and then as we talked about last week connected to 1 peter chapter 1 because we bear his name we are to live holy lives pursuing holiness in fact That pursuit of holiness is in itself an evidence of our adoption into the family of God. His adoption of us is motivated by great love. His adoption of us has bestowed upon us great privilege. We are called the sons and daughters, children of God. Great privilege and great responsibility. But I want you to see, last of all, that our adoption, our adoption is centered on his beloved son. I mentioned this just a moment ago when we were talking about his love for us. His adoption of us is not meant merely to benefit us, it does greatly benefit us. His adoption of us is not meant to merely benefit us. His adoption of us is meant to exalt His beloved Son. This is what it says. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which, that grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. What does it mean when it says that Jesus Christ is the beloved? Maybe you are familiar with the term only begotten. The only begotten son of God. We learn what this term only begotten means by looking to Abraham. Abraham was promised a son. And he was given... A son named Isaac. Scripture calls Isaac his only begotten. When, if you know the story, you know that Isaac wasn't his only son. He had another son named Ishmael. A son that he pursued, as son that he had because he was failing in his trust of Yahweh. But then God gave him the son of promise, Isaac. And the scripture calls Isaac. His only begotten Son. The fact that Jesus is referred to as the only begotten speaks of His uniqueness. He is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. Son of His Father. You see, God the Father has other sons... Now listen carefully to this. Adam is called the son of God in Luke chapter 3. Israel, in Exodus 4 verse 22, is called, Israel is called the firstborn of God. Israel is the son, the firstborn son of Yahweh. But these sons serve actually to set a trajectory for us. They're, they're meant to teach us, to give us a pattern which will ultimately point to the one and only Son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Adam was not meant to be the end, nor Israel meant to be the end But they are meant to point to a Son who is far greater. A Son who is exalted. A Son who is only begotten. The Father's love for His Son in this text is highlighted. That's why Paul, the Apostle, begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the relationship that is emphasized. He is the Father of His Son, Jesus. And we are in him. Who is he? He is the beloved son. The only begotten son. The one and only son. John 3.16. The verse that all of you know well. You, you probably have it in your translation. For God so loved the world. I want to change the translation a little bit. To be a little bit more accurate. Here's what that verse says for god loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life this verse is meant to signal and communicate to us god's great love for us and yet in signaling that great love for us it actually serves to highlight God's unique love for his son Jesus the father intends to exalt his son Jesus you see your adoption and my adoption it does benefit us, but that, that, is not, that is not the primary purpose. In benefiting us through Jesus Christ, the Father intends to exalt His love for His Son, the Beloved. I want you to turn in your Bibles. This is such an important passage Romans chapter 8. So many passages we could turn to, but Romans 8. I want you to see this. We read it in our liturgy. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. And we know... That for those who love God, okay, stop right there for a moment. We know that to those who love God, for those who love God, who are those that love God? Who are those that love God? It's not talking about everybody. It says to those, for those who love God, those who love God are those who have been first loved by God. We just see, saw that, right? We've seen that today. We love God because He first loved us. Okay, so this promise is for those who he's placed his love upon. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. There you see again, the father's intent to do nothing but good for his children. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, elected Chosen according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, those whom he has known since before the beginning of time, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of whom? His Son. In order, don't miss this, that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. There you have it again. We are his brothers, sisters. We are his family. But what is the emphasis upon? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here you see in in these couple of verses, the unsearchable wisdom and the plan of God to make for himself a holy people in His Son for His glory. Now what does this verse mean for us? Really the import of Ephesians 1, the adoption of the Father, the fact that He has adopted us in love and called us His children, given us great privilege and status, what is, what, is, what is the whole plan about? It is about exalting His Son. Truly, as the adopted children of God, as those who belong not, not because of anything we've done, We who belong to his family because of his great mercy and grace that he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, our lives as those who have been adopted by the Father, our lives are but for one purpose, and that is to make much of his precious, beloved Son. That's what our life is about. He he is so committed to that purpose. This is what Romans 8, 28, 29 is teaching us. He is so committed to that purpose. He has ordained everything in your life to bring you to conformity to His beloved Son. Everything. That's what He's working in you. Your life will be conformed to the image of his son for his exaltation, for the glory of the Father, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's what your life is for. Often I hear people, and myself included in that, we will wonder at what God is doing. Why would God do this? Why would God do that? We suffer under the pain and difficulty that life brings us. But this passage teaches us that for those who love God, those who were first loved by God, to those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. How can you say that? Because the good is being conformed to the image of his son. And that is what he has determined and ordained to do. This last week, I received news, and many of you received the same news, that Phil Campbell, a lot of you know, missionary to Indonesia for many, 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 many years, servant of God, sacrificing his life. He and his wife on the mission field found that Phil has a brain tumor that is inoperable. The prognosis is not good. They have come home. They're here now, I believe. And much sadness, for sure. We don't know what next week will hold for Phil or the Campbells. We, we don't know what's going to happen. We, we don't know all that God's doing. But actually... We do. We do. Because we have this promise that all things work together for good to those who love God, that is, those who God has put his love upon, to those who are elect, called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that the Son might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, Phil's life is not about himself, and he's he's demonstrated that. He's demonstrated that for years. His life's not about himself. His life is about the Son, making much of the precious, beloved Son of God. That is what his life is for. And you see, only when we grasp that, can we get a cancer diagnosis, prognosis? Only when we grasp that can we face the difficulties and trials and circumstances of this life. Only when we grasp that can we embrace what God gives us as good, even though we would never ask for it. Do you see? There are so many things God gives us that we would never ask for, we would never want, we would never choose, but he knows better than we do, and he knows, he knows what he's doing. And He has His his grand and glorious purpose to make much of His Son, to exalt His Son through our lives. And everything, everything He gives us is to that end. Everything. Everything. And so we could say, God, I, I don't want this, but I know that You are good. I know that I am Your Son and Daughter. I know that You want nothing but good because You want to exalt Your Son in this. And I embrace that purpose, Father, It's for that purpose I give my life to make much of the beloved son. Only until we grasp that will we be able to meet the challenges and difficulties of the day and be able to say, he is good and it is well with my soul. We sang this and I'm finished. We sang this as we were singing together, and I know I've quoted this before, I want to just quote the first couple of lines again. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing all is mine yet. Not I, but through Christ in me, all the glory now belongs to him. That is what our life is for. What a privilege we have to be called sons, daughters, family, children of God. What great love He has loved us with. What great purpose He has given our lives. I do want to say if you are here this morning and you you don't see life that way, you don't have that assurance that you are in the family of God. He has given His own Son. For God loved the world in this way, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I would encourage you, I would implore you, to come to the Son who died for sin, who raised again, defeated sin and death, and who offers you now a place in the family of God through his work on the cross and in his resurrection. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you that we can say we are called your sons and daughters. I pray that you would teach us to trust You and Your heart towards us. Pray that You would teach us to trust in Your good and glorious purpose, to exalt Your beloved Son, and that we would even today give our lives to that purpose, that we would cease from trying to make much of ourselves, seek glory for ourselves, seek ministry for ourselves, See, seek a way that we can make much of us, that you would convict us of wanting the benefits of salvation but not wanting the Savior Himself. I pray that you would work these things in us by your grace as your children. Teach us, even today, what it means to be called your child. We pray. All of this for your glory and your name. Amen.